It's called Lonesome Woman Blues, and it goes just like this. When you think of acoustic music and its players, its types of content, and its overall context, what words come to mind? Wholesome, nostalgic, soothing? When you have visiting relatives and want to play some of your favorite music, what do you choose? Your playlist titled Friday Funk Jams, or the one called Suppertime Strummin'? When you have slept in on a weekend and want to ease into your day, do you throw on Foo Fighters or Fleet Foxes? Acoustic music is often intricate, beautiful music that tends to be, well, polite. But it can also be intense, spellbinding music that can be quite rowdy. When picking out that playlist for Grandma when she comes to visit, keep in mind that the unamplified ensembles she liked best in her youth might have been viewed by many as noisy ne'er-do-wells. Her favorite artist might have been anything but genteel. You could slip some of Sierra Farrell's music into your Suppertime Strummin' playlist, engage Grandma's reaction, and perhaps that would tell you. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick. This is our episode on the charming, incredibly talented, and possibly slightly dangerous Sierra Farrell. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Of course, I do not mean to seriously imply that Sierra Farrell is literally even slightly dangerous. She simply looks like she could be straight out of the film Bonnie and Clyde. Maybe Roaring Twenties flapper or 1930s femme fatale roles would be a natural for her. short and chaotic. I love it. It was mid-May this year when I pointed my car southwest and rolled back to the Albino Skunk Music Festival, which for me was the first big stretch of live music since the fall of 2019. This episode is the first of three with Origins in the South Carolina event, which is part three-day camping music festival and part lovably eccentric reunion of kindred spirits. Coming up, you can enjoy episodes recorded at the Skunk Farm on Amanda Ann Platt and the Honeycutters and Unspoken Tradition. Those were terrific interviews and coupled with some great live sets by both. I think you will definitely enjoy those two ambassadors of country 
and bluegrass music, respectively. And in the meantime, you could revisit some episodes of Southern Songs and Stories about the Albino Skunk Festival when I first experienced it back in 2017. And hey, why not check out episodes on artists I have profiled or featured previously that were also playing this May weekend at Skunk. There was Tyler Ramsey, Time Sawyer, Natalia from Zoe and Cloyd, The War and Treaty, John Stickley Trio, and The Honeycutters with a video episode of Southern Songs and Stories back in 2015. But back to this year's prize basket of music we were awarded at Albino Skunk with our episode on Sierra Farrell. I spoke with her in one of the green rooms at the festival, which has several permanent structures, but prefers the camping aesthetic when it comes to things like housing some of the artists and green rooms for all. There, Zig and the company of volunteers that put together the weekend festival for a thousand, more or less, and this spring capacity was reduced, they all come together to keep a little fleet of RV trailers, camper vans, and the still-roadworthy, silver-sided 1951 GMC Highway Coach in working order to serve as little islands of privacy, restoration, and inevitably celebration at the heart of the 22-acre former farm, which seldom sleeps much at all for those three days. Sarah and I talked about her long-awaited album debut on Rounder, titled, you guessed it, Long Time Coming, her musical upbringing and early, more rocking tastes, about Sierra's new band, how the forests of her native West Virginia can be heard in her songs, and a lot more. We began our conversation with the runaway hit of the weekend, Boston. You see, Sierra was caring for Boston, the Boston Terrier, that weekend. I started by asking how he was doing that day. Boston is doing wonderful, and he's making a lot of friends. And he's getting over his, some allergies right now, and I think this is really helping him having him out of the house. So, yeah, yeah. the The story behind the story of the weekend is Boston, the the <laughs> blind terrier, the Boston terrier named Boston, who's not even your dog, but you're apparently taking care of Boston, and and so are other people. It's true because I had to get up and play. So, um, a, a lady friend backstage, she watched him for me. And Jeremiah watched him, too. And Jeremiah, who <laughs> books Red Wing, is taking care of Boston. <laughs> he actually offered to watch him while we did this, but we got to get some little Boston little gruntles in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sierra, talking about some of the makeup of your music and some of the things that you like, I mean, you you write a lot of original music, obviously, but you mm-hmm. cover a lot of greats. You know, you've got a, a, a pretty rich songbook of people that, you know, just... Dolly, Dolly and Porter, uh, Charlie Pride, Farron Young, you do a lot of great stuff. And you've listened to all sorts of different music mm-hmm. that might not be apparent in one of these songs. So do you read about or maybe otherwise delve into the lives and careers of artists you cover or that you're a fan of? And I wonder if you sense a kinship with anyone in particular? Well, I know that, you know, everyone has their own story. And I feel like I could do, I should do more research on musicians. And uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of the people who I've looked up to when I was younger, they're they're starting to get documentaries about them and um, just movies and stuff about them. I love Blaze Foley and he just did, he just um, got a movie made about him. And uh, also they did this, um, this thing about uh, Guy Clark, was it? 
Yeah. I just watched that and that His was so good. And then like Towns Van Zandt's and that. And mm-hmm. he's like definitely someone who I've worshipped and listened to a lot. Yeah. So let's go back to last night because that set really knocked me out and just how tight everything was. And a new band. That's what I was not prepared for. Tell us about this new band. Um, so I've got um, Austin Janey playing bass and he does low part harmonies on some stuff. And then I also have Josh Relko, and he's playing mandolin and doing harmonies as well. And then the fiddle player is um, Josie Tony, and she's goes to Belmont, and she's really a dictionary of some old-time tunes. And she just, you know, everyone adds really their own essence, and I, mm. I really just love what they bring to the table, and they're very gentle. And Yeah, it was in sync. <laughs> it, it was neat that it was so dialed in, and I was thinking at first I didn't know their story and how long they've been playing with you but obviously not everybody's been playing out a whole lot until now so it's it's like zero to 60 bam and y'all were at 60. well um last night i was this festival is just so welcoming and i think that it's just really eased our minds and it was we could just be ourselves on stage and i also love how the stage isn't so high up here you're kind of low, you know, like you're like with everybody. And I really respect that about this place, Albino Skunk. So. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Albino Skunk, I Do It Again has a tie to Albino Skunk. You all were reading Michelangelo love poems when writing mm-hmm. back from a previous Albino Skunk appearance. So what makes you want to come back and what makes this festival so different from others? Uh, of course I want to come back is because all the amazing, bright, happy people and the kitchen's always pumping out really good food for everybody and everyone's just so welcoming and I enjoy the, the fireside jams. So. Mm-hmm. And yeah, whenever the song I Do It Again, it was with uh, Nate Leith and Audrey McAlpine and Audrey was reading out some Michelangelo, some uh, poetry that he did and, you know, like he was... Um, he was in, he loved men and back then it was a lot harder to admit it or like to let people know because you know like they probably just killed people a lot more than about it and so he would write in his poetry you know i'd be the shirt on your back i wish i was the shirt on your back or the jacket that kept you warm <laughs> and that's kind of how i i helped start piecing together uh, that I was like, we should write a song about this. And we all kind of pitched in and wrote a little song about it. So I'd do it again. Which we ended with. Well, I wish I was your silver
I have to say that your music, and especially your live show, it exhibited a lot of killer instinct, I think, with hooks and with delivery. And there were times last night when, there was one song late in the set, and I can't remember what it was called, but you were all uh, fiddle and the bass, and everybody was locked in and just playing that same lead melody. It was almost metal. It was. It was just. Yeah. You know, and it, and it harkened back to. It. I was thinking of like at times. I was like, you know, that is like so on point. That's like the jam or Nick Lowe in 1978. You know, that has just. It's aggressive. A little punk rock. <laughs> Very much, but in a completely acoustic. You know, all of the backdrop is country Americana. Mm-hmm. Which is. You know, I have a a country heart, but a jazz mind. That's all I always like to say. You know, I love artists who have a history of busking, and you did a lot of it. New Orleans, Seattle. Mm -hmm. Um, What did you learn from busking that helps you as a performer? Well, it definitely teaches you to be very humble and just, you know, which I definitely feel like I needed some time to to spend some time with my instrument and just, you know, I, I never thought that I'd be where I am now with music because my music has always just been a part of my life and I love it. It's my passion. And, you know, these days I can finally do it as a career. And I definitely feel like busking helped me in lots of ways to be in front of, be okay to be in front of people and performing. Because, you know, for the longest time before I started doing touring, it was hard for me to be on a stage more so than being down with everybody because I don't know it's just I just like like to connect with people and I just feel like when you're on everyone's level you can have a deeper connection um but yeah I feel like busking really helped me just um play better on perform better on stage and uh and I think I think busking for that and busking can be a really good gig if you do it right it's true um if you can do it right and you, you know, just treat it like any gig, kind of, in a way. You just, you have a set and you follow the set. Um, and then, you know, take a break after an hour or so. You just got to go in and not expecting anything, especially with busking, you know. And um, that's also another thing with, with performing, on, performing on stage is, like, everyone's looking at you, you know. Like, they're expecting something from you. And as with busking, you know, people can just keep carrying on they're just walking around yeah (laughs) checking out the city and then you just happen to be a bonus on the street corner playing you know want to talk about your sense of style and presentation and you've got a a look you've got an aesthetic Uh, can you describe what that aesthetic is what does it do for you um i definitely feel like whenever i'm dressed well and i have my hair fixed and makeup on it's you just feel more confident, especially being a woman. You know, I feel like in today's society, there's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. That's not why I I dress up or I put makeup on. I do that just for myself to feel confident. And I feel like that's also something that needs to be stressed sometimes to people because a lot of times whenever women are wearing wearing like that, you know, makeup, I feel like it's because it's makes them feel more confident and. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're all just trying to figure it out. 
but I definitely feel like I perform a lot better whenever I, f I like the way I look. And, um, uh, and uh, my aesthetic does kind of run all over through all kinds of different fields, you know? It's just, um, it's a combination of all kinds of everything. There's my whole life of what I've collected with music that's kind of helped. Because, you know, like with some musics, there's a style. It's just like with music and there's genres are genres because they have a sound to them. And it's just like, you know, you can kind of have fun with that, with like the aesthetics of the outfits along with the music. At the top of the show, I threw out the scenario of choosing either Foo Fighters or Fleet Foxes to start off a relaxed weekend morning. And I think that Sierra Farrell might lean towards the former. If not the Foo Fighters, maybe Goo Goo Dolls, because that is one of the bands that she grew up on. At first, acoustic and roots music wasn't her thing, at least not the main thing. Even though she sang in church as a child and learned about all manner of country and bluegrass from her grandfather Jim, the voice that you hear now, which sounds like it was cut from the same cloth as Bessie Smith or Jimmy Rogers, that voice was more inclined to hum a 90s rock anthem than a Stanley Brothers tune early on. But as you just heard, busking was Sierra's first foray into live performance, and being in that acoustic setting better lent itself to say a good yodel than it did on amplified rock. You wrote The Bells of the Chapel with Oliver Bates Craven, yeah. so a co-write. So talk about co-writing, and do you bring in other artists to write songs much, or, or do you return that favor? Do you write for anybody else? Um, you know, I've never written for anyone else, but I've done some co-writing. Like, I recently just worked with Marcus King, oh. and then we, we worked on a song together. I'm really, I really like it, and I hope that he records it. And, um, you know, you know it's, it's also just with the each person each person has like their own essence you know and they bring their what they have to the table and so working with everyone that i've worked with before um sometimes it's easy sometimes it's hard like i worked with parker Millsap and we've written a song which i haven't recorded yet but i feel like it will it will happen eventually um because it's got like such a big band feel to it so i like definitely want like it's kind of more of a jazzy feel to it Working with Oliver was amazing. Like, it was fun to work with him. And, you know, like, I brought to the table, like, I have this song. I don't, I I have a melody really, I have this melody choice that I really, I'm really digging. And and I was like, can I just sing it? And then you help me find it on the guitar. And then so that's kind of what how we work together. I would just sing it. And he'd be like, well, these these are the chords that match with what you're doing. And that's how he helped a lot with that one. And then we, he, I worked on another one with him called Whispering Waltz. And that was his mandolin tune that he was playing, and I just thought it was beautiful. And then I said, I want to write the Whispering Waltz. I want, wanted to write 
a, a waltz called the whispering waltz and um so then i just sat down and then i started thinking of a sad story <laughs> and maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of my life and maybe a little, little bit made up life or someone else's life who i just so like i could put in a song you know and then that's how i came up with the whispering waltz so here's a here's a whispering waltz i wrote this with my good friend oliver bates craven yes. um <laughs> that's his name it comes with the accent it comes with the accent well his grandma lives there so Talking about the record, Gary Pachosa around yeah. I mean, some big deal stuff here. This is this is neat with uh, the people that are on this record too. Billy Strings is playing on a track. Sarah Jarose is doing get background vocals. What was it like to be in the company of so many great artists? And tell us about how the record got recorded and the making of it. Um, well, the rec- where we recorded at, I think they're sadly they closed down now. It was a it was a place called Southern Ground, and it was located. Um, Kind of more midtownish, I believe. Um, I'm, I'm not 100%, but it was. We spent three days in there. We had a full band, and we we did 12 songs. And I'm really excited about the outcome. And it's you know, and I'm super excited to talk about how there's going to be vinyls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weren't you talking about? On another interview about why'd you do it having a sort of a calypso beat or something is that yeah right? it's got like to, to explain that to us non-musicians how does that work okay well you know what actually um i was touring with cw stone king and he showed me this really cool uh the scale which is actually i kind of used it in that he showed me like a lot of stuff and that definitely has like kind of a, a calypso progression in a way because like a lot of calypsos, minor key, uh, jazzy in a way as well, and um, so that's how I, I got the say that it has a calypso feel because it has like the rhythm of some of the mo- motions in the songs for it. Sarah Farrell's father was a Marine, and her family moved fairly often, like many military families do, and she went on to travel extensively on her own. Now based in Nashville, West Virginia remains her home at heart. I asked her about how her identity and music were never far from the mountain state. Growing up in West Virginia is pretty sheltering. You're kind of cradled in all these rolling hills, and I lived in Charleston a lot, or in a lot of places in West Virginia. And, uh, I mean, you know, I when you're a kid, you're so innocent. And you're pretty much just like a little slate, clean slate that someone and people are going to help mold you into who you are. You know, I mean, it's up to you to to be a good person. But, you know, a lot of people help pave the way. Um, you know, like when I was a kid, I thought that the the cloud, you know, clouds were made from these chemical factories, which West Virginia is known for Chemical Valley. And I thought that these big pipes were making clouds. And... Um, I feel like definitely growing up there 
you're you don't realize how big the world is because it's kind of like going back in time in a lot of ways um you know we're not up to date with how the west coast is or and it's you know again like it's slower over here on the east coast it takes a long time for people to be accepting of things and like not just be cynical i feel like there are a lot of cynicalness um, because people just get stuck in their ways more here because it's just, you know, um, and I definitely feel like I carry over some of the sadness of the thinking of past lives and stories of just people who grew up in West Virginia and how poor and rural it is, you know, and rural, I'm sorry, not royal. <laughs> <laughs> it can be royal. It can be very royal at times, giving the delivery. <laughs> um, but, you know, I definitely feel like I play music that's created around a lot of places that have trees. Because <laughs> I feel like you can listen to some music and you're like, well, it sounds like they weren't around many trees when they wrote this or something. I definitely think that West Virginia is very beautiful. And, of course, we got the John Denver, Denver song, Almost Heaven, West Virginia. So... Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of how I wrote West Virginia Waltz in a way. Cause I just, I kind of wanted to help maybe write another West Virginia song that kind of sticks with people, but, and, um, I hope it does. Well, you came up in the tradition that's, that's probably not unique to the South, but it's pretty prevalent is your grandpa Jim and getting turned on to mm -hmm. guitar and, and music from just, you know, your own family and sitting around and picking and whatnot. So tell us about grandpa Jim. Grandpa Jim, Papa Pringle, he was he was the sweetest old man. I loved him to death. Very stubborn. You know, he always wanted to cut his own grass or just fix fix something around the house that he feels like he, I mean, he could fix it, but, he, you know, he didn't have to. And, uh, you know, he was uh, super into going to church. So then, you know, he got me into singing hymns, and it was a little Baptist church. And... Yeah, you know, he he got me, he got those gears of ticking with the guitar, and I've always sang and played music, but, you know, he helped push me in the direction of more of, like, the country bluegrass. You know, it was all definitely a path because for the longest time, I didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't really in the country, and, you know, I didn't realize the genuine and passion behind it that I, I wouldn't find in other places you know and that's one thing i do cherish and love about old country music is just people just really mean it you know they're they're singing from a place to where they can express that emotion and feelings and i definitely feel like that resonates with me i think one thing you mentioned you know coming up in the church i think that's so and again it's not specific to the south but it is mm -hmm. so indicative of of what Southern music and culture is. It's all intertwined in the church. And I think that when you come up and you sing in church, that you're getting some skill sets that are pretty valuable later <laughs> on. Because think about it, you're, you know, the altar call. You are closing the deal the whole time. It's it's all coming around to a very specific point that you're making with the music, with the sermon and everything. And I have to think that that can carry over to a performing career absolutely um, especially when it comes to harmonies and churches i feel like churches really 
help lay down the rules with that. And um, and I guess, you know, and whenever people are singing about, and they really genuinely mean it and feel it, I definitely feel like that's, like, one thing I do love about religion is um, is it makes people just really just have faith and believe. And you can feel that from those people. And especially, like, whenever people... You know, like, I'm not, like, a huge church person now, I'd say. But, you know, like, when pe- people come over and be like, hey, I would love, you know, some church people. And they talk to you and they say, hey, we would like to pray with you. I always say yes because it feels so good because you can feel the honesty and just, like, you know, like, the heart of, Christ- of, of not just Christianity, but religion is so pure and sweet. But, you know, it... If you look at the history of it, it's terrible. But that's a diff- that's another the rabbit hole. All the things hole. that the people did. <clears throat> yeah, it's not. It's not. It's and, and it becomes not in the name of God. It's in the people. The things that people do in the name of God is outrageous because it's like he didn't say like. <laughs> this is not like, the point. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is not the point. Like what? But you know, that's a that's another that's another situation. But uh, I definitely do feel like um, God is in my music for sure. Closing out our show with In Dreams by Sierra Farrell, performed live at the Albino Skunk Music Festival on May 14, 2021. That's one of several new songs you heard here, which will be available on her album Long Time Coming, coming August 20th on Rounder Records. And you can pre-order the collection on her Bandcamp and her website now, too. I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and might tell someone you know about it. You can follow the series on podcast platforms everywhere. And once you do that, could you take a minute and give us a top rating and for all the feels, a review. In no time, you will help make all the topics and artists covered on this series more likely to be found by more people just like you. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media with all the Osiris shows available at OsirisPod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Mark Johnson for supplying the live audio from Albino Skunk, and to Zig and everyone there for being so generous and accommodating. Thanks also to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where our former intern, Joshua Ming, wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, in this is Southern Songs and Stories. <laughs>